All right. Um, if you've got your Bibles, please grab them out again. Um, we're going to be reading from Second Kings, Second Kings chapter five, and I'm going to pray over uh, scripture, pray over Sana, and um, leave this time before God. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are here with us now. As we open up your word, you are present and you are speaking to us. Help us to be um, obedient to what you're saying. Help us to um, listen intently and uh, focus in on your voice. Father, I pray that you be with um, Sana and you bless him with the words that you have placed on his heart to share. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Second Kings chapter 5. Now Naaman was commander of the army of, of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would, be, would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send you a letter to the king of Israel. So, so Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to, cure, to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to, to say to him, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord, his God, wave his hand <coughs> over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpa? the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? <clears throat> so wash in them and be cleansed. 
So he, <clears throat> so he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then, when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Please accept now a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. If you will not, if you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry. For your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other god but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Ramon to bow down and he is leaning on my arm and I bow, I bow there also, when I bow down in the temple of Ramon, May the Lord forgive your servant for this. <clears throat> Go in peace, Elisha said. After Naaman had travelled some distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, My master was too easy on Naaman, this Aramean, by not accepting from him what he, what he brought. As sure as the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi hurried after Naaman. When Naaman saw him running toward him, he got down from the chariot to meet him. Is everything all right? he asked. Everything is all right, Gehazi answered. My master sent me to say two young men from the company of the prophets have just come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two sets of clothing. By all means, take two talents, said Naaman. He urged Gehazi to accept them and then tied up the two talents of silver in two bags with two sets of clothing. He gave them to two of his servants and they carried them ahead of Gehazi. When Gehazi came to the hill, he took the things from the servants and put them away in the house. He sent the men away and they left. Then he went in and stood before his master Elisha. Where have you been, Gehazi? Elisha asked. Your servant didn't go anywhere, Gehazi answered. But Elisha said to him, Was not my spirit with you? When the man got down from his chariot to meet you, is this the time to take money or to accept clothes, olive groves, vineyards, flocks, 
herds or men servants or and maid servants. Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and your de- descendants forever. Then Gehazi went from Elisha, Elisha's presence, and he was leprous as white as snow. Here ends God's word. Thank you. Am I on? Can you guys hear me well? Maybe it's my... There we are. I think they can hear their voice. Um, we are in the section of Kings. And just to give you some background to it, in Kings, especially in this time period, there was a lot of outward signs of religion, but the people's hearts were so far away from God. So they put their trust in so many other things... But if you saw them, you'd say, they're still doing religion. And it's sad. Because this can happen in churches too. So people can come to church, put all their hope, and from the outside look like they're all connected to God, but their hearts can be really far from God. I mean, there's a lot of events that we've just read, and thank you, Sean. And there's a lot of things that happen. But um, the key mountain peak of this passage comes to us in verse 15. And you just, you just hear this statement for a second. Naaman, a Gentile, says, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. The, the people at that time were able to turn to God and worship him and get a source of refreshment and help. But they've put their hope everywhere else. And here comes a Gentile that comes in there and reminds the people that there is no other God except the God in Israel. So in this chapter, as we explore this, we're going to see some key themes. We're going to see the theme of God's sovereignty, We're going to see how foolish it is for people who put their trust in false ways or idols. We're going to see how God is ready to intervene and restore and cleanse. And with absolute clarity, we're going to see that there is no other God in all the earth like our God, the God of Israel. I know um, we've had it up there. If we can follow it verse by verse, that'd be lovely up there. But if you've got your Bibles, if you go to verse 1, we'll work through this together in the, in the narrative as it is. In verse 1, it starts with this Syrian figure, Naaman. And the language of Naaman is really high. It's a picture of a man of great esteem. <clears throat> the Syrians have just... Um, had a battle with the mighty Assyrians, and they've won. And part of the great conquer and the victory is given to this individual called Naaman. It's, it was kind of Naaman's strategy. He, his war mind, his prep, his implementation, that's kind of given the victory to the Assyrians. See, from the outside world, right, 
the, the success is, is credited to Naaman. But in the text we see the word, the Lord. Because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram, which is Syria. So in all the reality, all of Naaman's victory is actually credited to the sovereign Lord. But also in the first verse we see something else. So we see this man that's of high esteem and well respected, and we say God's sovereign hand is on that. But at the end of it we see in verse 1, it says, but he had leprosy. Possibly with open wounds. I mean, people would notice that this great commander had leprosy. The, the stigma of leprosy was well known at that time. He, he was unclean. He would have been, people would have looked at him and, and wanted to stay away from him. There's certain places he wouldn't be able to enter in. And, you know, for the original audience, it was absolutely clear. Right? So first he's a Gentile, and now he's a leper. So no connection with God, and definitely unclean. But they were really shocked at this passage. Because God's going to work through a Gentile, and God's going to work with a person that's been classified as unclean. I'll tell you what, this is encouraging for us. Because I'll tell you why. We can sometimes classify others, or even ourselves, being too far for God to work in our lives. But this is the God of the Bible. And with our God... There is no one that is out of reach from our Lord Jesus Christ. So this text starts with Naaman as a, a great warrior, but he's a Gentile and he's got, he's got leprosy. And in verse 2, we see that the Syrians have done a raid. Now this was done during a time of peace. But just to embarrass the king of Israel, they would go and do these raids to kind of say, remember who's the boss? We are the boss. And in one of these raids, they've taken this young girl, this young Hebrew girl. They would have taken many others, but this young girl is called out. And then in verse 3, it, it, it surprises me here. It really does. It really surprises me here because this young girl is taken and in verse 2 we're told that she is a servant of Naaman's wife now. And and this young girl says these words. She says, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Why does this surprise me? You know, this young girl would have been heartbroken. She was snatched away from her family, her home. Her her normal life is now upside down. Her her liberties and freedoms have been greatly reduced. You know, when you want to think about trauma, think about the trauma of this young girl. The the weeping, the, 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 the crying, the sadness, 
as she's being taken captive and taken away to Damascus. The long road to Damascus where Naaman lived. So why is it surprising? She had sympathy. She had compassion. She had concern. Look, I won't speak for you guys, but for me, I'm not sure if I would have shown the same level of care as this young girl did. And the second thing that surprises me is her words. She says, if only my master would see the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of leprosy. How does this girl know that God can cure a person from leprosy? There's been no event like this ever. When you look in the Gospels, Jesus talks about this event of, you know, Naaman being healed. And Jesus says there were many lepers there, but there's only one leper that got healed, and that was Naaman. How did this young girl know that the God of Israel can cure leprosy? I can't be certain of this, but if you look at how Hebrew children would have been raised up, the, the parents would have been speaking to them about who Yahweh is. The grandparents, the community would have been speaking to them who Yahweh is. A, a reminder that we were taken from Egypt by a mighty hand by Yahweh. A God, a covenant God who loves us. He, he, he provides for us. Maybe in the community they would have spoken about the mighty miracles of Elijah. Now Elisha. And now this young girl, through all that, she's been kind of categorized, like the, um, the catechisms. And, you know, she didn't have the Heidelberg Catechism or the Shorter Catechisms, but the principles of that, she's been taught. Where is God? Can God see me? No. I mean, can I see God? No. But he can see me. Can God do all things? Yes. He can do all things according to his mighty will. And, And this young girl, because of the line of testimony that we haven't seen is able to go to Naaman with some level of confidence and say that only if Naaman will go and see this prophet. Look, I'm I'm spending some time here on verse 3 so I can encourage you with this. Never stop teaching and encouraging our children about our Lord. Amen. Our children, the next generation, there will be a point in time when the Holy Spirit will awaken them with all those wonderful truths. And it will not only comfort them, it will comfort others because of who our God is. Now, back to my text here. So this young girl tells Naaman to go to see the prophet. Can I ask you something? This this great warrior this great commander, why would he listen to a servant girl? I'll tell you why. We see the sovereignty of God coming into play. God is starting to move Naaman's heart. So Naaman takes this 
news back in verse 4 to the king of Syria or Arab. And we see the sovereignty of God working in the king of Syria. And, and to be honest, is actually humbling the king of Syria. Right? The, the king of Syria would have said, this is my great general. And he's coming to me to send him to my enemy for help. Because I can't help him. My, my great gods and my idols can't help him. So the king of Syria is also being humbled by the sovereignty of God. And, and, with, and the king of Syria says, by all means go. And he says, I will send a letter. So in verse 5, we see Naaman is getting ready to depart. And it's like a two to three days journey. And Naaman is like, I'm going to go and woo this prophet. And we see the amount of items he brings. It's like he's going to go and buy a service. There's about 340 kilos worth of silver. About nearly nearly 70 kilos of gold. Expensive fine clothing. And he departs. And in verse 6, he, he, he comes to Israel and he presents this letter to the king of Israel. And, you know, you can see, you can read the letter and there's no formal greeting. It's pretty bold from the king of Syria. It reads this, it says, With this letter, I'm sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. It's like a order. It's, it's an instruction. And the king of Israel sees this as a trap and he rips his clothes and he says, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to be cured of his leprosy? He's saying, He's just getting ready to pick a fight with me. In these short verses, you can really see that the faith of this young girl and the faith of the king of Israel is poles apart. You know what's sad? Like you would have thought that the king of Israel, that he's connected with the true God of the Bible. But there's no true relationship there. And and, and I mentioned it earlier, it, it, it's... It's also sad today that, that many people can come to churches but there's no true relationship with their maker. And that's a dangerous territory to be in. You know, this king, i just give you some context of this and you think, well, how is he supposed to know? This king in the previous chapter, he's stuck in the wilderness in Edom. So Edom. And he's stuck there and there's no rain, there's no water for his horses and his soldiers. And they call Elisha, the man of God, and they say, help us. And Elisha prays to Yahweh and Yahweh gives them water and they have victory. So he's seen firsthand the mighty works of God. So in verse 8, Elisha is made aware because the ripping of the king's robe, it's a public affair. This is huge. 
And Elisha says, send this man to me. And you know, you would notice that in the text, you will see Elisha, the man of God. The, the focus is not the prophet. The, the focus is the God the prophet worships. See, God raises people like Elisha so that his people can be trained and reminded of God's covenant love for them. So Elisha says, bring this man to me. And, and in verse 9, Naaman, and you know, you've got to picture this in your mind, this great warrior with all his chariots, with all the, you know, with, with his men, with all these wonderful clothing and, and gold and silver. And, and he goes to Elisha's house. And I'm sure Elisha's house would have been a simple house. It's, it would have been a simple door. The Old Testament prophets always had a simple ministry, poverty ministry. Hope you can picture that. This, this great warrior now before a simple door. And the Lord is going to use this moment to humble Naaman further. I mean, the Lord's already started to humble Naaman, right? He, he, he humbled Naaman to listen to a servant girl. He, he started to humble him by going to the king of Syria saying, can you send me to my enemy? He, he humbled Naaman by putting a request where he's saying, I'm unclean and here it is, king of Israel. Now the Lord's going to humble him in front of the prophet's simple door. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. God humbles his people. Not only so they can see their own foolishness, but so that they can have a clarity on who their God is and that they too can come and be restored and clean. So the humbling process is not just a simple door. The humbling process is he's there in Elisha's door and Elisha doesn't even come to see him. He sends a messenger like he was a beggar. And, and what does the messenger say to him? He says, go into the river Jordan and wash yourself seven times. <laughs> to Naaman, this is like an insult. What? I didn't see the prophet. But he didn't even come out here and do some fancy ceremony. I've come all this way and he's just telling me to just go and wash myself in the Jordan. He is a commander. He knows the region well. He knows that there are better waters, clear waters, crystal clear waters in other regions. And the Jordan, the river Jordan's not that clean. It's not that, you know, it's not that sharp. So Naaman sees this as an insult. You know, um, if Naaman traveled to any other part of the region, he would have been well respected. People would have said, wow, here's Naaman, he's the great king. And here he is, the messenger being sent and said, go and wash in the Jordan River. And you know, it's a little bit, it's an insight to the human nature. You know, when um, God tells his people, look at Christ and live, 
We say, that's too easy. Let's look and repent and believe. No, there must be some level of ceremony. There must be some level of work. There must be something that I can do as righteous acts. The Lord has told Naaman to go and wash in the Jordan River. See, in Naaman's anger, he's forgotten the last words of the messenger, of the message that the messenger gave him. The, the last words were written this, your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. You will be restored, you will be cleansed. I don't know if you, did you hear that? Will be restored, will be cleansed. There's certainty in there. And by God's sovereignty, Naaman's men come to him and tell you, look, just listen to what the prophet has said. So in verse 14, Naaman here starts to exercise the words according to God. So Naaman in verse 14, he, he goes to the river Jordan and he starts to dip himself seven times. I mean, to be honest, look, you look at verse 14, there is so much things happening there. Right, we read it as he goes there and he dips seven times, but think about it this way. You know, he, he had to go to the River Jordan. You know, think about the mind games that he would have had to go through. And then he had to prepare himself to go and dip a wash. He, you know, he might be thinking, this is embarrassing. My men are, my men are here. Then there's one dip. Then there's two dip. Three dips. All the way to the sixth dip. And then the seventh dip. And he comes up. Cleansed. Restored. Naaman. A, a leper no more. I just want you to picture that. Huh? This, this man that would have had many battle scars. A, a man that's got open wounds. Restored. Open wounds healed. Scars healed. There's no more absence, there's absence of pain. What a transformation. And this is where Naaman reminds the foolish Israelites in verse 15. He says, now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. And what a heart change. A, a heart of pride now is a heart of humility. A, a heart that could never understand Yahweh. Now a heart that's praising him and glorifying him. The, the king of Israel rips his robe, but this Gentile confesses that there is no God like the God of Israel. The, the, the one who organizes raids and captives and captive um, sessions, now he is a captive of God's grace and mercy. Do you know what this picture is? This, this is a picture of the gospel. You know what Naaman said earlier? He said, why do I need to go to the Jordan River? 
Abana and in Farpa. The, the rivers of Damascus is way better. You know, we may think that we're going to be happier in this world, in the bars or the clubs or in certain friendship circles, maybe in the entertainment world, maybe in materialism, maybe a fancy house, cars. And I'll be honest, there will be some level of joy there, but there'll never be peace It can never make you clean. It can never cleanse you. These things can never restore your relationship with your master. So the question we've got to ask is, what can cleanse me? What can restore me? Christ Jesus can. He's the one who can cleanse and restore us. It's that simple. Repent and believe. Please don't let that simple, or maybe even the simplicity of the gospel message, be a stumbling block. (coughs) Naaman exercised his faith, washed, and he was restored. No ceremony, no works, just exercising faith what God has asked. So Naaman's confession in verse 15 is really the confession of all believers, right? That there is no God in all the earth like our God. There's no God in all the earth like the God of our Bible or the God of the Bible. Now let me close by just looking at the last sections, because it's a bit difficult, verses 17 to 19. And um, so Naaman is cleansed, and um, so he goes back to the prophet, and he says, hey, can I have some soil? Because he wants to start now providing offerings um, on that and worship the true God. And why is it difficult? Because only the priests are allowed to, to provide offerings to the Lord. And then he says, hey, can you know, if I have to bow down and um, you know, with my king to... Their God, can you ask God to forgive me? You know, and, you know, Elisha says, go for it. You know, that's fine. Is, and, and the difficulty is, hang on, is, is Elisha sanctuaring this? Is, is he okay with this? But I think in the, um, in the context of God's sovereignty, we have to let grace take place. God would have worked in Naaman's heart to iron those things out. But I want to close with verse Verses 19 to 27, and um, it'd be hard for you guys to follow through, but yeah, we are introduced by a new guy called Gehurzai. And, and you would have heard that Gehurzai walks away at the end of the passage, not just with leprosy, but his generation, but his own generation will all have leprosy. And can I think for you to understand why that happened? You've got to understand, why didn't Elisha take a payment? Elisha says, is this a time to ask for payment? Why didn't he take a payment? I'll tell you why. When Naaman would have went back to his own community, his wife, the, the king of Syria, 
They, they all would have asked him, how much did it cost? What did you have to do? Tell us the payment for you to be cleansed. What a testimony it would have been for Naaman to say. It was for free. It cost me nothing. It was by God's grace and mercy. All I had to do was exercise faith. But Gehurzai has polluted the gospel of grace. The God, now they contrast Naaman, an outsider, with leprosy, now close with God, cleansed, walking with God. Gehurzai, this young, well, this prophet in training, you think he's close with God, now he is the one that's got leprosy. The gospel is a gospel of grace. It's a free gift. To, to obtain God's free gift is to exercise faith in his son, to repent and to believe. There's no payment needed. There's no works needed. You don't need to go to the River Jordan. You can sit here in private prayer and seek him and feel his cleansing touch. You know, in our, in our text we have Naaman, the young girl. We've had so many characters, the king of Syria, the king of Israel. We've had the prophet. But never forget who the hero of this story is. That is the God of the Bible. For the original audience, they needed to be reminded that there is no God in all the world like the God of Israel. Brothers and sisters, we can walk out of this worship service knowing and be reminded that there is no God in all the earth like our God, the God of the Bible. And that's where we have true hope and joy in. Let me lead you in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we think of your grace and your love, your, your covenant grace and love, Lord. Even in this time when the people have abandoned you, Father, you have raised men like Elisha so that the people can say that there is a God and the God of Israel is a true God. Father, we thank you that we'll live on this side of the cross. That there's more clarity for us to see what the prophets could not see. And Father, that we can see the true cleansing power that Christ gives us. Oh, Holy Spirit, work in our hearts like you worked in Naaman's heart. Bring about true repentance. Oh, Lord, work in our hearts so that we can see the beauty of your free gift, so it can transform us from the inside out. Oh, Holy Spirit, work in the monks of all your children today so that we can leave this building confessing the same thing that Naaman said, 
that there is no God in all the earth like our God and restore the joy of our salvation into our lives. Oh, Father, hear our prayers for your Son's namesake. Amen.